0: We come back today to the book of 1 Thessalonians after the Advent season. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 9 through 12 are the verses we want to meditate on this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning with verse 9. Now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. For indeed you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, to excel still more. And to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hands just as we commanded you so that you will behave properly toward outsiders and not be in any need. Let's pray. Father, we thank You today. We praise You today for the love that You have shown to us in Jesus. The love, Lord, that You were willing to give Your Son to offer Him as a sacrifice for us to pay the price for our sin, that we might have a living relationship with You. Father, it is hard for us to comprehend such wonderful, marvelous love. And the love, O God, that You have shown to us is the kind of love that You would desire us to show to one another today. And we pray, Lord, that You would teach us what it means to excel in love As you first challenged the Thessalonian believers years ago, would you use that, Father, to challenge us today as well? And give us, Lord, that kind of love we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. Of all the things that you do in life, is there something in which you would say that you excel? I was trying to think about that in my own life. Could I say that there's anything that I really excel in? Well, all of us are good at some things, and some of us are good at many things. But to excel in something means to be the best at something. And it seems like we can always find someone who does something better than we do. Isn't that true? You think, well, you know, this is something I do pretty well, but there's a lot of people that do it a lot better. (laughs) So maybe the question, a better question would be this. Is there something that I should strive to excel in? Is there something that is really important, something that is vital something that God would want to work in my life today, that I would excel in that? And I think just based on what we read in our text, the answer to that is yes. (laughs) And that is love. As Paul writes to the Thessalonians, he says, Now as to love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another, for indeed you do practice it, toward all the brethren who are in Macedonia, but we urge you, brethren, to excel still more. So that's what we need to excel in. That's what we need to strive in today. By the grace of God and by His work in our life, that we would excel in love. Notice, first of all, that Paul gives to us the practical expression of love. The Thessalonian church, as we've studied a little bit in this letter, must have been really a wonderful church. Besides all the other wonderful things that Paul has already said about this congregation in this letter, he says that they had such a great love for one another. He says, I don't need to write to you about this. I don't need to tell you about love for the brethren because you do love one another. You do practice it. And he says it was a very widespread thing that they practiced love toward all the brethren who were in all Macedonia. A loving congregation. The Thessalonians remind me of the man who said, if anyone gets in my way, he's going to get loved. (laughs) He's going to get loved. Now, even though the Thessalonians were active in expressing their love, Paul then urges them to keep growing in love. Brethren, he says, I want you to excel still more. And then in verse 11, it it appears that he's giving them then a practical way, a practical example of the many he could have given to express their love. Because the sentence doesn't end there. He says, But we urge you, brethren, to excel still more and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hands just as we commanded you. Now, there's some background to this within the church at Thessalonica. Thessalonica. Paul is addressing those, in particular here, who took advantage of others. For some reason, they didn't seem to want to work for a living, so they became what we would say freeloaders. All the time they had on their hands, they were sticking their noses in other people's business, and they became a nuisance. In fact... After this first letter, things didn't change, and so Paul addressed the issue again. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. In verse 6, Paul says, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life, and not according to the tradition which you received from us. He goes on to explain it then. For yourselves know how you ought to follow our example, because we did not act in an undisciplined manner among you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with labor and hardship we kept working night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you. Not because we do not have the right to this, But in order to offer ourselves as a model for you so that you would follow our example. For even when we were with you, now he's looking back to the time he ministered there. For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in quiet fashion and to eat their own bread. Now I used to think that the principle that Paul addresses here was something that originated with my grandpa. they who do not work shall not eat and my father learned that in a very challenging way one time uh, he was told to go out and cut wood for the uh, stove and uh, he didn't do it came down to supper sat at the table was ready to eat and my grandpa asked my dad did you cut the wood? No, he said, I'll do it after supper. Grandpa said, no, you'll do it now. And my grandma said, oh, pa, let him eat, let him eat. Oh, no. And he quoted the verse, they who do not work shall not eat. And so my dad went out for a couple hours, cut the wood and came back in. And now grandpa said, okay, mom, give the boy something to eat. Huh? They that shall not work shall not eat eat now we know that there are exceptions to that principle because there are some that can't provide for themselves and we need to take care of those who are not able to provide for themselves but there are many people who are able to provide for themselves and yet they were unwilling there in the church at Thessalonica they chose instead to let someone else pay their bills and and feed them And Paul says that isn't right. Love doesn't take advantage of others. There's the practical expression. And Paul could have given many other examples, but that was one that really needed to be heard in that Thessalonian church. And maybe that's one that really needs to be heard in our culture today. Would you guess? Are there people that are constantly looking for a handout, looking for the government to provide, looking for the 1% to pay for their education and to give them what they need? This would be addressed to such people like that. Those who are able to work and don't should not eat the practical expression of love. The second thing Paul gives us here is the plain purpose of love. And he tells us why we are called to love one another. And you notice in verse 12, it begins with this phrase, so that, here's purpose, so that you will behave properly toward outsiders and not be in any needs. So what's the first purpose? So that we can be a witness to those who don't know the Lord. Those are the outsiders. So that you will behave properly toward outsiders. People outside of the kingdom of God, they are always looking for ways to point their finger at the church, aren't they? looking for ways to say about Christians, if that's what it means to be a Christian, I want nothing to do with that. And Paul is saying we do not want to give them any excuse. We want to behave properly toward outsiders. And so the way that we function as believers in our work has real significance, doesn't it? How you and I as believers in Jesus go about our job, that can be a wonderful testimony to the world. But if we're lax in how we work and if we're not working as unto the Lord, that can then become a real stumbling block. Because one of the greatest opportunities that we have for evangelism is on the job, isn't it? As we rub shoulders day by day with others that don't know the Lord, they are watching us. We want to be a good testimony. And Paul is very clear about that in in many of his letters. One of them, I think, in particular is is in his letter to Titus. And he addresses bond slaves in verse 9 of chapter 2. And he says, urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering or stealing, but showing all good faith so that, purpose again, so that they will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. Now, that's an interesting phrase, isn't it? To think of adorning the doctrine of God by the way that we work. The word adorn there is the word cosmeo. And we get our English word cosmetics from that word. Kind of interesting. Why do you wear cosmetics? Huh? Did any of you wear cosmetics this morning? None of you? Guys, you're not going to raise your hand if you did, are you? Okay, why do we wear cosmetics? It makes our appearance better, huh? Right? So if we as workers are working in a way that honors Jesus, what does it do? It makes the doctrine of God, the teaching of God, the word of God more appealing to the world. Because they see that Jesus makes a difference. How we live, how we work, our attitudes, our actions. How about our reactions on the job, huh? So there's clearly one plain purpose so we can be a witness to the world. And then in verse 12, he says, "...so that you will not be in any need." So that you will not be in any need. Congregation, when there is a genuine need, we need to respond, right? We are called to meet the needs of those who have needs that they're not able to meet. But again, Paul is saying to believers there that you don't take advantage of this, you work. I remember hearing of a man who uh, actually owned an auto repair shop. I happened to come in there just after he had done some work, uh, some uh, free work for his son in law's car. And you could tell that there was something bugging him. <laughs> and so he said, Okay, let, let me, can I just get this off my chest? I said, Go ahead. He said, my son-in-law needed a repair on his car, so I was nice enough to give it freely to him. And you know what he did? He goes out and buys an Xbox. Really got under his skin. Did he really need help with that repair if he had money for an Xbox? Money for something that wasn't really a need? If there's a genuine need, yes. But we don't want to be amongst those that are just kind of saying, okay, yeah, give me another, another handout. So first of all, the practical expression, then the plain purpose. Notice thirdly then, the powerful source of love. If you think of what it means to excel in love, maybe you're tempted to say, you know what? <laughs> I don't have that kind of love in me. I'm not like these Thessalonian believers who are an example to love among all of Macedonia. I can't seem to get my eyes off of my own self and my own needs. How can I think about the needs of others? How will I ever be able to excel in love? If you look at verse 9, you see the key... The Thessalonians loved each other because of their relationship with God. Paul says that they had been taught by God to love one another. I think what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, he says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. There needs to be a living relationship with the God of love before we will ever understand what it means to love. Isn't that true? But when we've experienced the Lord's love in our life and as His children, then we have that living relationship with Him. Then we can walk in love just as Christ also loved us. So what's the basis? It's the gospel, isn't it? What has Christ done for us? He has saved us. He has poured out His love upon us. And that then is the kind of love that we pour out on others. Romans chapter 5, verse 5, puts it well. Paul says this, that the Holy Spirit, excuse me, verse 5, says, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So think of that. God's love is poured out in us by the Holy Spirit whom He has given to us. That makes sense, doesn't it? Because what is the fruit of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit is love. First thing mentioned. So it's not something that we have in ourselves naturally because naturally we are very self-centered, aren't we? By nature, we think of our own needs and our own life and our own family and our own selves. When the Lord comes in and pours then His love into us by His Spirit, that's when we begin to understand and then live that kind of love. Some years ago, I was trying to add or change the transmission fluid in a car that I had, and it didn't have one of those dipsticks on the top where you could reach it easy. There was a plug way, way down. A little plug. You had to pull it out. I was thinking, how am I going to get that fluid in there now? I'm not going to try and pour it from the top. needed to get a... I used a garden hose, actually. hope nobody drank out of that after that, but used a garden hose, poured it in there, poured it into the transmission. That was the the vessel through which the transmission fluid came in. We're just vessels. We're just empty in ourselves. But God can pour into us His love. And then we pour out that love to, to those around us. And we need then to Say, Lord, help me to excel in love. That was the challenge given to the Thessalonians. And Paul says, I don't, need to t- I don't need to write to you about love because you're showing love. And yet, he says, but I urge you, brothers, to excel still more. Would that be a great goal for this year? Lord, teach me what it means to love. Not one of these New Year's resolutions, you know, that is a self-centered thing. I'm going to be more loving and it's all focused on me. But rather, Lord, show me what it means to love. Pour your love into me that I might pour it out to those around me. Use me, God, as your vessel, your instrument to pour out your love. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the great love that You have shown to us. We've sung about that this morning, about that wonderful, marvelous love that You have shown to us in Your Son. And Lord, we need to experience that love in a living relationship with You, knowing Jesus as our Savior so that we can say that God is our Father and And we are His children. And we bear the image of our Father. And then fill us, Lord, with Your Spirit. Teach us what it means to excel still more in love for the brothers. For the glory and the praise of Your name, Lord Jesus. We ask it in His name. Amen.